Hey, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Free the Geek, my friend. And in this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with my mate, second time on the podcast, Mr. Chris Hartchase. He is a wonderful gentleman. If you've ever met him, if you've ever read any of his books about testing, you know who I'm talking about. This is a really fun episode. We had a rolling chat, as is always the case. We talked about sort of testing from so many different perspectives, like looking at sort of, I guess, a bit of the a bit of the specifics, but more of kind of like a high level overview. Because recently, I kind of started off the conversation uh, because there was a tweet I saw recently about is pest PHP a good choice? Now that may sound a little bit controversial. Now that may sound a little bit controversial. It may sound like I'm stirring a hornet's nest, but I'm not. As I said. It was a tweet that went out and I kind of played devil's advocate in that saying, well, is another testing framework a good choice, even though it is built on PHP units. So it's not kind of totally new, but it's new, I guess, for people to testing and if it gets people in, but it's new in general. But I thought, well, I'm not near as experienced at testing as Chris is, so why not see if he's got time to come on and let's talk about it. And talk about it, he did. He gave some really fantastic, well-rounded, meaningful feedback. Uh, I learned a whole lot about it. I feel a lot more educated about it than I did before. I learned so much more about testing, which is something that I've always been working to get better at. So if you're interested in testing, if you're curious about someone, if you're curious about whether different frameworks are a good choice, well, come listen to someone who really knows what he's talking about. And now, roll the intro music. If you want to learn the essentials of developing and deploying applications with Docker Compose, especially if you've been struggling to figure out what you need to know while Googling, searching Stack Overflow, and various other forums, then you'll love Deploy with Docker Compose. It's a free book and course that teaches you the essentials of building images and deployment configurations, tagging images, and pushing them to remote container registries, how to debug applications running inside containers, how to debug containers when they don't work as expected, and how to deploy your application to a production environment or any other environment using Docker Compose. Now, it doesn't cover every possible Docker command, nor does it go absolutely super duper deep in depth about anything that you could know. It just covers the essentials that you need to know so that you can deploy your first application with confidence. And you also get a host of supporting information, tips, tricks, and pointers to help you out when you get stuck. Check it out today at deploywithdockercompose.com. I'm, I'm, 
I think you know, you know me. I'm not wanting to be deliberately controversial. I'm not trying to do clickbait or pick a fight. But I did see... Uh, mum, 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 mum. I've forgotten his name. I can get the tweet later. Uh, he was... He's, he's had a critique on pest PHP f- pretty much the whole time. Mm. I'm not wanting to like, pick a fight about it. I'm just more curious about your, your opinion on it, just as in, do you think it's a good development, not a good development? Not wanting to get into the initially they said this is a completely standalone product, which it wasn't. Yeah. Not wanting to necessarily <laughs> poke that. Just more curious about your take on is this a, a good addition? Because I played the devil's advocate in that short thread saying, well, maybe if it just gets more people into testing, is that a good thing? Just uh yeah, yeah, I would be I would definitely be happy to talk about it because as you would expect, I do have thoughts on that. So but uh, you you want to get into it right now? Uh-huh. Um, well, we, we'll we'll skip a few more. Just like you know, recent career changes, sure. things that like technologies that maybe have really grabbed your interest of late. Sure. Maybe kind I of centering so. around testing, but kind of spanning out broader. Yeah. No, that sounds fine. Do you need to do like an intro, record an intro, and all that other no. stuff? No. We'll just I, we'll just I'm roll not, into it. I'm not Cal with the five four three. It's just <laughs> I'll do it later. You'll do it in post. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I guess we can start off. We can talk about Pest. So sure. uh, I did get to see, um, and I feel bad because I can't remember his name now. Um, I can see his face. I would recognize him in a picture. Nuno? I got to watch him give a presentation about Pest at PHP Day in Verona last mm-hmm. year, in May of last year. Uh, for those who may be listening in the distant future, that was in May of 2022. Uh, very slick presentation. Uh, he's a very skilled live coder, and that's good. Uh, makes the presentations a lot more interesting. So, you know, we to me, the pest thing is like, there's two sides to it, right? There's the first part that, uh, or even, even three, I guess it's almost like a tripod if I really want to think about it. So on the one hand, we have the more people that learn how to write automatable tests for their code, the better it is for everybody. Right, because it's like your. If we think about developers' skill levels in terms of like floors and ceilings, right? Like, what's the uh, uh, you know your base level of skill is your floor, and how high you can go by learning stuff is your ceiling. The goal for me has always been to like sort of try to raise that floor for everybody, and that when you start teaching people about testing, there's a bunch of complementary skills that you just have to master or else the testing thing just isn't going to work, right? Because tests are tests are, are code, so you do have to know how to code. I could not imagine trying to teach a beginner programmer uh, how to teach them PHP guided by tests. I look at it and go, I just, I just don't know how you could do that. Maybe there's other languages where like teaching people with like a test-driven uh, mindset works, but for PHP, it's like to use the testing tools that we currently have, you have to know a lot about programming already. So testing by itself is not like a beginning topic. It's definitely intermediate topic. I've talked about at length about my opinions on, it's also super hard to learn on your own, uh, that you almost always need someone else who's done it before to guide you, especially when you get to uh, having to make decisions based on things you haven't seen before. So if we get back to PEST, PEST is a testing tool that sits on top of PHP unit. So that's good, right? Easier, uh, it will likely integrate with, if you have an existing test suite, chances are you'll be able to use it. Um, And uh, so it's good that more people are being exposed to how to write automated tests, right? So that part is good. 
Um, the the second part, the, the downside, if there is one to pests that I see, is that it's part of a greater ecosystem of what appears to a lot of people to be marketing-driven development, right? A lot of people who are like really talented programmers have decided Laravel is going to be their framework of choice. And for people listening to make it clear, uh, there was a time where I cared about what frameworks people use. Now, I just don't, I don't care anymore because I've realized it really isn't that important. It's, uh, it's an implementation detail in the overall picture of your application. When you've worked in programming for 3,000 internet years like me, you've come across everything. The chances that, uh, that you have only, when you've worked in this industry for 20 plus years, right, the chance of you only ever having worked on one framework in PHP, it's got to be approaching zero. Are there people out there? Sure, there has to be. But for most people, we're moving from position to position, project to project, and chances are it's not always the same framework. So you very quickly learn once you've worked with multiple frameworks, it's an implementation detail. So the PEST being tightly coupled with, and I hate the word influencers, I just don't know any other better way to call people who mm. promote stuff <laughs> anymore. I mean, it came out of Instagram and just the idea of like Instagram influencers and just yeah. gives me the willies thinking about it, but just, <laughs> it's such a weird label. But PEST is tied, good or bad, PEST is tied to Laravel. Right, which means people who use Laravel who want to start writing tests are going to be, PEST is going to be the first tool that they're going to run into, which is fine. I've actually tried out PEST. And to me, it's just simply another uh, set of syntax on top of testing. In, from my perspective, it doesn't make testing any easier. It doesn't make testing any more difficult. It's just another way to do it, right? And again, you know, the Laravel project, uh, to their credit, uh, has made testing a central part of what they do, which is which is again good, and and you know provides inspiration to other developers who are moving from beginner to intermediate, and then trying to adopt other tools and techniques to to produce better software um, faster and get it up into production where people are going to use them. Um, but on the but again on the downside, what happens that with such and Laravel does have a lot of awesome tools. I mean, I like the Laravel community. I see I see a lot of what they produce, and a lot of it is really interesting, even to a grumpy old programmer like me, right? Uh, so, but the danger I feel like happens that people associate testing with pest and pest alone. And from my perspective, I feel like it's better if people worry less about the tool and worry more about the concepts. And like, what are the like, what are the fundam fundamental skills that you need to understand in order to get to the point where you can write effective test suites? So if you like, I mean, I'm always a fan of like zooming out to different levels when you're trying to analyze problems. If we look at the problem of testing uh, on the PHP side, almost all our stuff is is based on um, testing um, objects and using assertions. I mean, of course, there's other things added on that allow us to do things like test purely functional code and test, you know, and test things uh, not necessarily using um, assertions, but test that did certain things happen? Did an exception get triggered? Um, did this bit of other bit of code get triggered during my test? And those are all those are all concepts that are um, pretty standard across um, assertion style testing frameworks across languages. Every language that has an assertion um, 
based testing tool has the ability to do that stuff. It's in Ruby, it's in Python, it's in JavaScript, it's in whatever language um, you choose if they had that sort of assertion style thing. So I, I think I, uh, I like that PEST can ramp people up um, who are using Laravel. It's already integrated, it's easy to install. There's plenty of examples for them to follow on uh, how do I get started writing a test using PEST? But at the same time, I feel like it's super important to learn those foundational skills. Learn about assertions, why we're using them. Learn about dependencies. How do I how do we identify dependencies? What does testable code look like? What testing approaches um, lead to what results? What's the difference? Like what happens if we decide we don't want to use mocks or we don't want to use um, test helpers, or we don't even want to use assertions if we want to try a different style of thing. What do we do if my code isn't um, isn't written in such a way that it's e that out of the box, I can start writing tests for it, right? So those are all a bunch of questions that I feel like they get missed or not addressed because they're not really relevant to the concept of convincing people to use PEST, right? That's really, if, if we want to be like, if we want to focus it on the, the marketing side of things, and I believe developers shouldn't sneer at marketing, we're, we're not immune to emotional persuasion. I talked about this on social media, right? Uh, a lot of programmers would like to believe that they're beings of pure logic and can't be influenced by marketing and, and emotional man manipulation when we absolutely are all the time affected by that. We make our choices based on how they make us feel, not like we don't, we don't like find a study and compare seven different frameworks and get a bunch of benchmarks and then total things up at the end and go, aha, Expressive Engine is the one that I want, or aha, Laravel is clearly the correct choice. It's like, no, of course we're doing things based on <laughs> how they, how do we feel about the people who make it? How do we feel about the people mm -hmm. who use it? How do we feel about um, the people who talk about it on social media? How do we feel about their documentation? Like it's all, all, um, my daughter uses this phrase and I hate it. It's all vibe based. It really like, you know, like to use a, to use a more modern term. So, uh, so I feel like, like PEST is a good tool. I wish there was more time spent saying here's how you use pest to do these to to handle these uh fundamentals of test writing and i think if people would concentrate on learning the fundamentals then they would find as they switch from project to project and language to language that the the what you need to learn to, in order to write tests across multiple languages, across multiple frameworks, across multiple tools is transferable. And you'll be able to like, if you're on a project and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you spin the wheel of uh, tickets and boom, you have a front end ticket suddenly to do. Uh, if you know how to do assertion-based testing and you got to do a bunch of JavaScript work, well, there's, there's assertion-based testing tools for JavaScript. You can write a bunch of really effective um, unit tests for it. But if you only know, if you only know testing through the lens of PEST, you're missing out on so many uh, so many other opportunities to to add tests to your application because I, in a in a perfect world right we want tests that cover everything that's important all parts of the application and whether that means we can get away with that all just in PHP or whether if we're doing a bunch of JavaScript if we got to write tests for the JavaScript well you better learn how to write similar type of tests for your JavaScript so that now we have a super high confidence level that. All our code from start to finish is um, is behaving the way that we expect, and then we can instead, you know, save our brain power for like how do we turn business requirements into code instead of worrying when I push, 
when I push this latest change, is it going to break user signup for the you know hundredth time? I mean, every application sort of has its like pressure points, right? Points where this stuff, where a part of it always seems to fail, and every time you touch something, it seems to break. So every application has its own sort of unique characteristics, and getting so that deployments are just like a non-event is like where I always tell people that's my ultimate goal. I want changes to flow nice and smooth from your development environment up into production with complete confidence that whatever changes we do uh, are going to work and that we don't end up with rules like no no pushes on Monday and no pushes on Friday and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It's like, no, we should be, we, we uh, you know, there was a time when like building those sort of tool chains and processes were difficult. I lived through them in the early 2000s when there was nothing right and now i see like it is literally the golden age of of um continuous um deployment right and the only reason our applications don't end up that way is because of a bunch of choices that we made uh with incomplete knowledge if i told people when we start we can get this so that every change just flows up into production no problem and if there's a problem we just quickly roll it back and it's literally a non-event a lot of people won't believe you but it's there's places that do it and you don't have to be like a gigantic tech company um, to do it. Again, there was a time where you needed like, you know, serious commitments in terms of time and people and, you know, and resources mm -hmm. to make it happen. But yeah, I mean, I look at it now, I feel like it has never, it's, uh, it's never been easier to like, when you make up your mind that I, I want this to happen. Um, you know, there's so many, so many products rooting for you that want to help you get to that position if we just look at even if we look at version control systems right i remember the first ones again being a bazillion years old in internet terms i remember i remember i mean i remember pre-github right uh which is probably astounding to a lot of people that yes there was a time when that wasn't there and integration with all those tools was difficult you had you had build servers that were written in java and they were difficult to configure and they would randomly crash and they required a lot of resources and then again this is before the rise of the cloud so you had to have you had to like get a computer some you know get some hardware uh, hook it up to a network somewhere and then make sure that it could be seen um, could be seen on the internet so I mean, there's all sorts of uh, all sorts of advantages we have now that we don't even realize are actually um, advantages, you know. So so a long way short. Test is good. I wish people would concentrate more on learning the fundamentals of testing. Test is fine. Use pest. Use PHP unit. Use Codeception. Use whatever the heck you want. You even invent your own if you really want to, because you know the assert. Uh, there's an assert command that's built into PHP itself, so you can do it yourself. But Use something and worry more about learning, uh, learning how to identify how do I write a test for a bit of code rather than worrying about which uh, which one of these community uh, favorite tools should I be using to do it. Okay, well that sort of plays well for me, like especially when I was playing devil's advocate with that tweet thread earlier. But I guess I feel a lot more comfortable talking to someone who's a lot more experienced than I am in this, you know, in this, in this area. Yeah, and no, I was curious. I like your point about the like the. What was it like marketing first framework or sort of marketing oriented? And I don't marketing do, oriented. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't that. think that's, uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's this, I mean, you have to be pretty disingenuous or really super naive to like, look at the whole Laravel ecosystem and not connect all the dots, right. To look at how uh, Taylor Otwell created a very popular, I mean, uh, Taylor, let me rephrase that. Taylor started a very popular framework 
right set of tools at the right time, which is always the key to all to all this success, right? There's lots of great ideas, but sometimes the opportunity is not there or the timing was wrong, right? So much of like my own thing is I built up and became like the person in PHP who they would talk about testing. That was all just about like opportunity and having the right skills to take advantage of those opportunities, right? So Laravel copied in many ways what the Ruby on Rails community did, um, but in my opinion, way more successful than Rails ever made it, right? Um, uh, because they quickly realized uh, what you want to do is you want to get people to be using your tool. And the best way to use that tool is to focus on where, uh, and to a certain extent, it's correct, right? Where you say developer time is more important than, um, uh, or developer productivity is more important than hardware productivity, right? That, that uh, a developer who can uh, crank stuff out in a predictable way is has value, right? And uh, and so when you start telling people, uh, do you hate the framework that you're using? And usually the answer for everybody, for almost everybody is yes, because once you use a tool long enough, you start focusing on the things about it that you don't like, as opposed to the things that it's really good at. So chances are most people are like ambivalent or hostile towards the tools they have to use when they're programming. So someone comes along and says, hey, I've created this thing where our goal is we want it to, we want developers to be happy when they use it. So then that's a marketing, that's a marketing message. And then the next marketing message becomes, hey, you know this other problem that you have that's adjacent to programming? Uh, like you want to make it, uh, you want an easier way to access database records, so you don't have to really, so you don't really have to learn SQL. Uh, here's here's this thing called Eloquent, and we'll roll that support for that into Laravel. So now you have basically active record from uh, from Ruby on Rails, now a first class part of Laravel, and you know they, the people that help build and promote Laravel keep doing it, and in my opinion, it's actually a good thing. Uh, that every, every more and more problems that developers face, people who are Laravel adjacent go, I want to create something that integrates well with Laravel, right? And sometimes the solution they've created can be used outside of Laravel, which is good. And sometimes it's really tightly coupled for a variety of reasons, right? Sometimes the problem you're starting to solve, sometimes the skill level of the people who've built it. And sometimes some people are just like, I don't care if it's Laravel only. I use Laravel. I want something that easily integrates with my existing tools because then that's less hassle, right? Less wondering, am I going to have to uh, spend a lot of time writing glue code to get like component X to work with my framework? If it's if it gets the uh, approval of the, of Laravel people, then you know, if you choose it, it should work with minimal effort with your existing tools. So that again, that's, it's, it's all marketing. It's all your marketing is trying to convince people to do something that, um, that you want them to do. That's at, that's at its heart. You're, you're, you're trying to convince people. I have something that solves a problem for you. And for the vast majority of people, Laravel solves uh, solves a bunch of problems for them. I mean, um, the, the the reason to use Laravel is because big community behind it, tons of documentation, and tons of support tools for it. They all talk to they all talk to each other. And my own experiences from dealing as an outsider dealing with the Laravel community, like everyone that you talk to, with almost no exceptions, um, uh, wants to be helpful and will point you um, in the correct direction. 
And so I think that's, 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 again, that's a triumph of, of community. I know I've joked that when I used to be more curmudgeonly about uh, Laravel's place in the PHP world, I used to say, I wonder if this is how a Ruby web people felt when Rails came along, when Rails became the dominant <laughs> framework for Ruby. You mm -hmm. had Rails, which is like, I don't know, probably at the time was like 90% of Rubyists were using it. And then you had the curmudgeonly 10% who are like, I'm never going to use this shit. What the hell do I want to use it for? Right. So for a long time, I felt like that. And then I realized I was actually wrong to have that position that in the end, you know, it didn't really matter. Who was I to tell someone that tool sucks, don't use it. It's like, well, I could, I could believe that a tool sucks, but I could be like, well, you'll use it and find out for yourself whether if it if it solves a problem you want to solve great if it doesn't then i get to smirk and say i told you so so um but i just look at it and go i go like you know that whole ecosystem surrounding level just makes it really easy if you want to if you want to build web applications that have problems that are easily solvable solvable by Laravel's approach to things. I don't see why you shouldn't use it. Like any uh, generalized web application framework, it breaks down at the extremes, right? I've I've been on projects that heavily used Laravel and ended up having to like really hack away at the internals and strip a bunch of stuff out because at at certain points the way the conventions that Laravel was built to address at some point there are types of applications where those conventions just don't work and you have to um, strip things down and start and pull out a bunch of stuff that's really convenient for 99% of the use cases and then like get down to the hard business of do I remember the algorithm uh, and approaches to fix the other 1% okay yeah no I, like I I think I was like a similar mindset for quite some time but then two conferences i was at and i met taylor um and it was like perfectly nice and i thought well you're completely different to the online persona that i have seen and i've heard about that matt stalfer character i mean you know like seriously you gotta write that fella off i mean seriously like not helpful not friendly most grumpy person i've ever met besides yourself <laughs> <laughs> joke joke um yeah no like i i, I take your point and I, I feel like a similar transition over time of having an opinion at one point, which perhaps I was just, I don't know, I, I, for not being that old, I don't think. I was sort of becoming a bit set in this is how I do things. And maybe it was, I was uncomfortable to want to look at doing something differently. Like, it's just, it's, as you say, it's like another way of doing things. I do have yeah, some. Yeah. And, 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 you know, some people have the personality type where they, uh, you know, where you distrust the popular. And you get yeah. suspicious when a when a when a bunch of people like something, and then you can't figure out why they like it, and so mm -hmm. then you get suspicious. So oh, I was very much the like I I, I have it like a non completely non code related example that ties in beautifully with that it was I was always a bit suspect of maybe came back from my school days of all the cool kids doing the cool thing, and a lot of them were why are you doing it, and you kind of see like this blank stare. It's like you're just because that's the cool thing and that's just what you do. And I think something I got like a negative connotation with that. Um, and I was in the UK and have you familiar with the girl with the dragon tattoo series of books? Uh, yeah, I am. Yep. Well, that was that was huge in 2009, I think, in the UK or coming up to that time and, and around that. I think it kind of reached a uh, um, precipice. And I thought, I just decided I wasn't going to read it because it was popular. And then a few months later, I thought, 
I, I'm, I've never read anything by this author at all. I don't even know what the book's about. Okay, look, let's just stop being silly. Open the books. I just plowed through one after the next, after the next. Uh, watch the like original movies. Was it produced in Sweden or, or mainly like the originals, not the Hollywood remakes? Yep. Yep. Um, and that actually sort of started to change my perspective of, well, give something a crack. If it turns out to be just, yeah, it's Kool-Aid, all right, let it go. If it's not, well, then let it stand on its own merits. And yeah, Taylor was always friendly, so. <laughs> like I said, I, I honestly can't think, I, I can't think of any one time where when uh, I asked for help or said, hey, can someone show me where I can find details about this Laravel-related thing? Um, I can't think of a single time when somebody was like, yeah, man, just go look over here, go check this thing out. Or if you need some help, um, uh, especially the more, um, uh, especially the more, um, I don't know if vocal is the right word to use on social media, but the more prolific uh, Laravel folks um, who you see all the time with uh, um, the folks at Spotty and some of those other people, when you talk to them. And uh, when I ran into that conferences, um, I was actually surprised that, uh, which sounds weird, given how I spent so much time trying to turn myself into that person, that I was surprised that they knew me and knew my work and um, and were happy to like uh, answer my questions and had questions for me. So that part was kind of, I've, I've told people the conference being like um, a high profile community person for like, a niche like because that's what php really is right it's just weird right because you you put yourself out there you promote ideas you often debate and argue these things you produce things you give them away to people you you know you write books you go to conferences you give talks and then still sometimes when people talk to you it's some like oh you know who i am that's kind of cool like so it's it's on the one hand it would be like Yes, you people should respect me because for years I was I was literally the only person giving talks at conferences about testing in PHP. But at the same time, it should be like um, my ego shouldn't be demanding all the time that everyone know um, who I am. So it was it's it's interesting in that there's there's so many ways to know stuff about people without ever having spoken with them when they become high profile in a community. So and that it was kind of nice, like when you know. Um, when I met Freck and, and some of the other guys, it's like, yeah, they know who I am. They follow my stuff. It's like, oh, I bought your book X years ago. And I was like, wow, that's actually, I would have thought they wouldn't have given a damn about the stuff that I did in the past. So it's <laughs> way it's, back in the ancient I, past. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, but, but you know, it does sometimes as things change, it does yeah. often feel like um, the ancient past. When I think about when I first started with all this stuff, with testing stuff in like, 2002 that's how long ago i like wrote my first test and it's it's it, it's funny that it's gotten to a certain point it's kind of like there isn't anything really new to cover in terms of like testing it's in fact it's actually embarrassing that so many of the problems that 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 we were trying to solve were solved by other people in other programming communities, like in the late 1970s and early 1980s. When you, when you start like, uh, this is the thing that I talked about, how we get a narrow view of test is the thing that I use for testing. And then when you take a little peek behind the metaphorical curtain at what's involved with testing, you discover, holy smokes, there's like, uh, you know, uh, 
shelves and shelves and shelves of books on this topic. And when you understand the fundamentals, you can start looking at books that are written for other programming languages or even uh, even talking about algorithms. And you're like, oh, I can suddenly all of a sudden see how to link those things together and look at stuff like, oh, I have this weird data structure. What the hell is like a linked list? What the hell is a linked list, right? To use a common like interview thing. Well, you can go look at a linked list and look at definition. And then from a test perspective, if you understand how to build test cases independently, like, oh, if I wanted to test a linked list, I could do this and this and this and this. And all of a sudden you've expanded your knowledge on how to solve a particular problem. But yeah, like uh, I can't, I don't think it's in my, yeah, I can see it from where I'm sitting. It's off, it's off camera, but I can see my uh, software software testing uh, development book. Uh, it's like from 1977 or something. So in many ways, it's like embarrassing that uh, we keep inventing solutions when the solution existed already. I think, I think it says a lot about how short memories are. And also, I think it also says a lot about um, how we teach programming, te teach people to program. We actually teach them even if you go to like, you know, a very well accredited um, university computer science program, mm -hmm. your, what you learn is like, despite what the people who participate in it might think, you are learning a very shallow slice of programming, right? Mm -hmm. We like to think you come out of, uh, out of a university with a computer science degree um, as some sort of expert. And I'm like, you've barely touched the surface of, of what, of what you're going to learn, even just creating simple web applications, you probably don't even know enough to really do them, to really do them effectively. And especially if you want to get into the testing side of things, I would, I would be stunned if there's, uh, if, you know, like even a quarter of the computer science programs out there even touched on the topic of um, automatable tests. And, you know, how do we prove, how do we prove that what we're doing is behaving as it expected? Because that, to me, that's always been, I tell people these days, that's the questions we're always trying to answer now instead of like what tool we're going to use and how we do this. Like, no, no, no. We started a much, we started a much different angle and then our answers all come off of that one. It's always, how do I prove that this thing that I have done is behaving as expected? And then how we go about doing that really depends on our application, the problem we're trying to solve languages, our own personal skill levels and how much time we have. Yeah, that's a fair point. Cause it, that reminds me of, of sort of all prompts too thoughts one was there was a uh someone interviewed bill joy what was it like was he like the cto at sun or something many bat years ago back in the day yep um and they asked him i think when like unix was clearly on the wane or it had been for some some time and linux was clearly on the rise and this is paraphrasing quite extreme but they asked him, would he interested in getting involved in that? And he said, well, I've already implemented those things. Why would I implement them again? Um, it was the, I believe the person came away from saying it was a very dismissive sort of answer, intentional or not. Um, and when I was back at, when I was back at uni many moons ago, given the hair, it's, it's a lot <laughs> lighter on the rear side here. Um, sucks when you find it out when someone else tells you that it's there and you have no idea, um, was we had this wonderful lecturer. He was, he was a wonderful gentleman. I think he'd, he'd worked for like Australian government, military, all this sort of stuff. Um, but very quiet, very introverted gentleman. 
but in tutorials, like in the big lectures, he just sort of, he, he read his thing and he got out of there. He just wasn't comfortable. But in tutorials, the man just kind of, he came alive into his own and he asked us something once about like, how would you solve this? Or he, I think he kind of, he didn't quite get that direct, but he kind of talked about a situation that said, okay, now over to you. And in the following 20 minutes, I think his, this, this smile started to grow on his face as we then said, well, it became apparent to us after sometimes he hit us over the head with the fact of what we were doing was we weren't solving the problem. We were like, here's my tool of choice. Am I, yeah. do I see myself as a sysadmin, a developer, what kind of developer, et cetera, et cetera. What tools do I use and how can I retrofit whatever this situation is to my tool of choice? And yep. so, as you said, everything was viewed through that lens. And he said, okay, I'm going to stop you now. I, I was really wanting you to discern what the problem is. It doesn't matter. Like maybe you, it's not even a problem that you solve with computers in any way. Maybe it's a notepad and pen. But what you've all done is a classic intro mistake of I have, I, I see life through my, my tools and that's how I discern my world. Well, that's the common saying, right? When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? It's that same sort of idea. You're right. You definitely filter your approach to, to solving problems based on what tools you're most familiar with. It's, um, you know, uh, I do try to expose myself to new tools and new ways of thinking. Um, and I do it a bit slower than I used to, but um, I, I definitely learn a lot from looking at, um, uh, I, I'm at the point where, you, where you're talking about before, where I kind of thinking about problems, right? Like not, it's not like, how am I going to solve this problem with X? It's like, how do I, if I had to think about how to solve this problem, what are some of the things that occur to me? I think about some of the stuff I care about um, uh, these days, uh, stuff like um, repeatable development environments and uh, dependency management, right? How, how do we, how do, you know, what are some approaches that make this thing really easy? So I think about, I think about, Again, I think about how it used to be, because again, making people who are listening to this just understand, I've been using PHP since 1998. So I do remember before we have all the awesome toys that we have now, right? And again, I think that can be really hard for people to understand um, how doing programming for money in that era, how different it is from doing programming for money now, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh not to belabor the point too much, but it's sort of like 20 years ago, um, we were uh, carpenters, right? We were cutting and measuring and nailing things together. And then hopefully we had some complementary skills to uh, stretch things over them and get the, get the web to behave the way that we wanted it to. Um, these days now, it's more like, you get uh you get a box full of widgets that are standard size and you can start snapping them together but if you look closely a lot of them they fit but they don't quite fit properly mm -hmm. so by the time we put them together it's like oh this is kind of that's weird it's kind of teetering a bit to one side or that piece is longer than i thought it would be and i have to stick a sh or it's shorter now i got to stick a uh, a little wooden shim in between the two of them just so that they'll touch each other properly so uh, like it's 
doing web application work in 2023, even on the PHP side of things, it's, so, it's like like thousands of years difference from when I first wrote my first bit of PHP code that read a database and spit out a bunch of results onto a page for someone, right? Um, it's, we have the tools, but in the process, the tools obscure a lot of that uh, measuring, cutting, and hammering that we used to have to do. And I think in many cases, us not having to do some of that stuff is good. But in but in other cases, I think it's 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 led to scenarios where we build these awesome things and then they're really brittle and rickety and can't really and when we're asked to make uh additions it's much harder than if if in a carpentry based world we just create some new frames and nail them in place where they need to go uh, build a new, build four walls of studs, put them all together, build a roof, and then slap it onto the side of the building, cut a hole for a door, and there's your new addition. In our current brave new world of software development, in many cases, it's like, it's like, yeah, all these moving pieces that constantly uh, get updates, it's a completely tangled mess, and I don't even know how, I don't know, uh, there is no clean way in many cases, just because of decisions made on how to build things oftentimes it's like there is no clean path um to to being able to make these changes easily like uh, a package-based world which is what php lives in with composer i stand by my my idea that composer saved php if a, if a really good packaging manager um hadn't come along i think php was like uh would have been uh totally dead I mean, WordPress is what allows it to continue to live, but but PHP was the thing that I, I, I feel like composers, composers a thing that kept PHP from just being the thing that runs WordPress. I think that could have been, that could have been a future that we had, right? That uh, you had WordPress and PHP tied, tied closely together and PHP as a general purpose programming language would have just been like, oh no, you just do stuff with WordPress with that you don't do anything else the fact that we had finally had a packaging solution that then allowed people to again start extracting we we moved away from general it's funny we moved away from uh, we had general purpose frameworks and uh sorry uh, specific uh, frameworks and then people learn how to how do i extract uh specific functionality out of them and spin them off into packages that can be used by other people so then we went to the era of really tiny micro style frameworks and then we could use Composer to pull things back in. And then people rediscovered the lessons of what a general uh, application framework looks like. And now we're back to uh, a general application framework um, being the dominant one, right? I mean, if you've used PHP long enough, you have written your own framework or a micro framework anyway. <laughs> you had to in the late... Yeah. Early 2000s to mid, even yes. probably as of 2010, you were probably still, for the most part, hacking away mm. um, on your own framework. But now it's like you don't have to. You can just you can grab one of these frameworks and just use whatever pieces of it um, that you want. And um, I think I think overall, um, I think that's good. I think you know I think a lot of people rant against that sort of thing. I just look at it and think like, yeah, just I don't got time for that anymore. I'd rather just I'd rather spend my time trying to solve problems for people because that you get you get paid a lot more when you solve problems for people than when you spend your days arguing with people on the internet is kind of what 
to what I've noticed. So I would rather just be like, hey, I want to fix this. I want to solve this problem for you. And um, what tools are you using? If you don't care, then I'll pick something. But at the same time, it's always about I want to solve a problem in such a way that other people can um, extend it. I'm not a big fan on uh, um, employment through job security by writing really super complicated things where, where I'm the only person that knows how to use it. I don't ever want to be in that position because I want to take vacation time and work on other projects too. I don't want to be the only person like Chris can't go on vacation during this time period because he's the only one that knows how like, you know, the, you know, the financial uh, processing part of the system works. That's terrible. That, that's, uh, as a business owner, that would terrify me that I've allowed myself to be in a spot where only one person understands how something works. So oh, that could be a whole discussion for another time. My views on that sort of thing, but I worked in but, a company um, like that, but yeah. Yeah, I've worked places like that too. When I was at Mozilla, you think a gigantic company like that, uh, you know, fifteen hundred employees type things that they would avoid that. No, they clearly they in many cases they had they had systems where it's only like one or two people actually knew how how it worked, and and sometimes those one or sometimes those people acknowledged that this was a problem and worked hard to try to um, make it not be the way. And in some cases, some people were actually happy that they were the only one that knew something because it meant that they could. Uh, I, don't, I don't think holding someone hostage is the correct way to describe it, but it's sort of like they've got a job there for as long as they feel like it because they're, they're the only one that knows how to, how a particular critical subsystem works, which to me would just be brutal. I would not, that's not a way I would want to live my life. I already lost all my hair already. That would just take care of the rest of it. <laughs> oh, you got a that bit stress, left. That, that, yeah, that's true. That that stress of like being the only one that knows how something works, that I would, mm. I would not want to be in that position, but that's just me, right? I, I like there. There are so many threads from there, but the one that I'd like to pick up them on the most is the point about that, like the the carpentry metaphor, mm -hmm. because I remember those days. And I'm not saying I was good at writing stuff then. I'm not saying I'm good now. I'm just saying that I like I remember those days clearly. And I think actually, as you were saying it, I think that perhaps informed my view or or, or coloured my perspective at least on on Laravel initially. And not to keep harking back to it, but we'll just use it as as the the framework of of choice perhaps for this conversation um because i guess that's how i kind of came out of and i i didn't as long as i can remember i i never had like a like a business first attitude really like there were some people who clearly what are the business goals what's the money i was more on i saw it as a craft i was like i was wanting to do something as well as i could i appreciate with time that perhaps you need to kind of you know not always indulge that side as much as you'd like practical reasons and just whatever because you know you can get off into a you can lose yourself in just wanting to perfect something and how perfect is perfect and when should we stop blah blah but i feel i still very much have that side of my personality of, of it's more of a love of craft first i should correct my earlier statement not that i don't have business goals but they're not the first ones they're not right up front i i well identify friends who are you can see it's business first it's it's development it's whatever second third fourth fifth um and perhaps maybe i just really loved that time in a way or fanciful thinking though i love composer because it just made life so much easier and it's just i need something to do this it's going to take me forever and a day to do that on my own or to talk to somebody or to work with someone okay here are a list which of the names do i really trust Okay, how can I kind of do some kind of superficial filtering to say, do I trust that one without pouring through all of the code to, to vet it or ask someone to do it? Um, and I like that style. But yeah, I, 
And, and your point about how you've got all these bits and it goes together reminds me of I worked with this lovely gentleman very briefly. He was in, God, I was like early 20s and he was in his late 60s. He was an old uh, COBOL mainframe programmer and he was getting paid whatever he wanted to whenever he felt like working because their numbers were just, they were dwindling then. And we sat right next to each other and I was, you know, I was moving from one thing to the next and to, you know, like, there was this component and that one and the database was this and this and that. Uh, to put it in context, I think that was 1999. Um, and he looked after a while and he sort of saw me going like this and this and this and this and these kinds of motions and said, what are you doing? And I described to him how this web, this app worked. And I said, well, how do you work? He said, I have this file. I can either find something further up in the file or further down in the file. I yep. said, you, yep, sure. you, you, you what? He's like, oh, I couldn't work the way you're describing. That is, that is too complicated. I just move up and down, and that's good. He said, you seem to have to pull something from here, which connects to this thing over there, which talks then to that thing through there. He said, no, no, too complicated. Um, and, and, you know, he's not necessarily wrong, right? I mean, I know that there's – what's that website? There's a, there's a PHP gentleman who does – I think he focuses on helping people get remote stuff find remote jobs and he took so much flack when a couple of years ago when it came out that the 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 web application is one gigantic index.php file he never saw the point in breaking it all down and he makes like significant dollars off mm -hmm. this application um and so i yes. just can't remember I don't want to say the name in case I get it wrong, but I do know it was a site to do with like helping people. He was like a, one of those digital nomad types, right? Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. wanted to help other people find similar career paths for them. Yep. So he built an application that companies could pay to be listed. And, but it, it came out at some point, someone was asking him something. He's like, no, it's just one big index.php file. Right. So when you look at it from, you know, your former coworkers perspective there, uh, his approach is actually the simplest, right? The simplest approach is that everything is in one file, right? Where that becomes difficult is when it's not him who has to do something to it. If you're the only, like, really, if you're the only one ever touching that bit of code, does it matter that it's one gigantic index.php file? Not really, right? It's only when someone else has to go and do something with it right that that if you hand that over to somebody else are how long is it going to take this person to look at your fifteen thousand line index.php file just to throw a number out there i don't know how big that one is but it, the number sounds pretty good um okay yeah go add a feature or go fix this bug you would have like no idea um where to start to even look. So the reason to use all those packages is because you've decided I'm going to trust that someone else can do a better job implementing a solution to something than I could. And that's where the package comes in. You trust that uh, you trust that this package to handle translating um, routes into a controller action pair to call. Could I write one that does it myself? Sure. Do I want to? No, I'm lazy. I don't want to do that. There's a there's a bazillion examples of it, right? So why why reinvent something that I have complete confidence that someone else has solved, right? So that's to me that's the strength of an ecosystem that has 
packages as the backbone that you you have to trust. You have to have a certain level of trust that when I'm looking for a package to help me deal with something, that somebody else has written a solution that I can use with minimal amount of efforts. I I totally appreciate the perspective of people who talk about having to drag all these dependencies into your application. Now you have to worry about about this. This is the common argument from people uh, who complain about Composer, especially when I get to hear from my various um, PHP community friends who are um, open source contributors and uh, maintainers, where they'll share their emails and requests they get from people who complain about, I don't want to use Composer. Well, tough shit, buddy, because that's what everybody's using now. We're, <laughs> with the whole community, the community has decided Composer is mm. the thing that we're using. I'm sorry that you don't like Composer uh, from your, you know, a lot of these people, it seems like they have, um, they have a, uh, a very shallow understanding of how Composer works and how package management works. And it is that shallow, really shallow understanding that lead, that leads them to the belief that a tool like Composer um, is not suitable. And those people usually miss the, their complaint is usually all this code that you don't know about uh, gets added to your uh, application. That's true, but that's all code I didn't have to write. So I would be rather spending my time writing the code I have to write than writing code that I want to write, if that kind of makes sense. There's code I have to write and code I, I want to write. I prefer to like expend all my energy on the code, the stuff I absolutely have to write. There's so many things that I used to think I had to write that I didn't, that I could just very easily use another package and just go, uh, I'll install this package to handle this part for me. Why? Why? What's the reason to write this for myself? Uh, ego gratification? Like I. You, you have some weird requirements that you can't bring in third-party packages. Like, I don't get it. Like, I look at it, like, I get there was a time when that was uh, a concern, right? But as development, as programming communities move on and more people come in and, and things change, at some point, the community just says, this thing you care about, nobody here cares about. I'm sorry that we don't care about it. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. to be rude. Like, yeah. it's like nobody cares about that. They literally don't care. So if they don't care, that should be your cue that asking the community to change, to do things the way that they used to be done, is just simply not going to happen. For better or for worse, the PHP community has said, Composer is what we want to use to pull in and manage our dependencies. And then we spend our time writing glue code. And I don't think that's necessarily um, a bad position to be in. I don't see the point in creating my own database abstraction classes anymore. I don't see, I, like, there's just so many of the nuts and bolts parts of programming. I'm like, there's other problems I, I need to solve with the time that's been allocated to solve them. I, I don't see the point in writing so many of these things um, myself. I just, I just don't. The only time... I suddenly care about these sort of things is when it is when it's time to test them, right? That becomes the problem. How do I now that I've pulled in a uh, hundred people's different packages and perhaps slightly different ideas on um, how to write code when it comes time where I have to start testing things? Um, then that's when that's when you find out, you know, find out the challenges of integrating things together. For the most part, though, it's like 
it's still like as far as testing PHP stuff goes when you're using other people's stuff, it's still pretty easy. It's just you just have to be willing to set aside the time. Like I've written plenty of tests involving packages that I didn't even know were installed. And you just dig into the source code and look at what it's doing. It's like, okay, I need a test double that does this thing and does that thing. And, oh, that thing's failing. Oh, because it's not typed and it's, expect, it's expecting an array and I was passing it a string and things like that. Um, that's when we talk about go way back to when we first started this conversation. It's like, it's that low level stuff. It's that you need to know programming. You need to know programming before you can actually write tests, and um, and th that's why all the pe that's why all the people who write the best tests are also like really talented programmers because you can't be a shitty programmer and write good tests because you have to understand all those concepts. You have to understand why a bit of code isn't testable and what can you what can you do to make your code more testable. And then more importantly, if you can't change that code for whatever reason, it really doesn't matter. Can you still find a way? What other ways do I have to prove that this this application and this bit of the application is, is behaving as expected? I think I think that's the conversation I have with people that these days are are most surprised I've at what I tell them, like my thoughts on that sort of stuff. Just because if you think of me as the person who's like, we're going to use PHP unit and we're going to do all these, we're going to do all these assertions and we're going to do all these test doubles. What 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 do people think I'm gonna say to them when they're like, well, well, how do I test like a WordPress thing? I'm like, well, not with unit tests very clearly. Or it's like, or how do I test things if I have the real database? I'm like, I don't know. How much work do you want to spend? So you can either spend your time creating something that pretends to be a database, or you can use a real database, and then suddenly it's somebody's job to make sure what's in the database matches what's up in production. You're just you're like, I've over time I've learned that it's literally the same amount of work no matter what approach you pick. So it's just a question of what approach are you most comfortable using and also understanding um, what are the consequences of, of that choice, right? If we, if we stop for a second and think about what I just said, real database versus pretend one, it's like, okay, with a real database, what are your downsides now? It's like, okay, well, you got to make sure you're using the same version that you're using in production, right? Um, then it's got to be somebody's job to make sure uh, you have data sets, in your database that match what's in production because you don't want them to be very different because then you could write tests that oh they're great they pass in a test environment but when the application encounters real data it's got no clue what to do because the data is just different enough so you have that so now someone's got to maintain the database what like uh you know then you learn about uh how do, how do I protect myself against the database not being available? And then if we look at the other side, if we like, okay, we don't want to, we don't ever want to be talking to a real database. Okay, that's great. What does code look like that talks to a database? What do you do to make it so that it can talk to a pretend database? So then we're doing test doubles and we're doing fixtures and we're doing all these other things to simulate being a database. Now your danger is that stuff could drift over time, right? As implementations behind the scenes change, as the admins update, you know, some library gets updated somewhere and now the database, <laughs> some, you know, if you're using some sort of um, ORM software, some obscure call, method call that you were relying on, oh, that's suddenly private instead of public. And now your code fails because you can't directly access it. Just like, there's all these, like, it's, you start off, there's all this decision tree, 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 tree and branches that all go down. And the sad thing I've discovered over time is like, it's the same amount of work, no matter what approach <laughs> that you pick. You just, yeah. I think the key is to, is to um, pick the approach that you're comfortable with. That's really what it comes down to. 
it's like if you don't want to write test doubles, that's great. You don't have to write test doubles. You just have to use the real thing. And then you then tree, 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 branches. What happens if I only want to use um, use the real thing? And that's when you quickly discover whether your code is even written in such a way that you can get away with using the real thing. That's when you discover all the hidden treasures of hard-coded hard-coded database credentials and just all those things that that are like usually like three or four steps away from the thing you're trying to actually um, accomplish. And I've said it a bazillion times, there's some apps that just like resist all your attempts to test them for a variety of reasons. The code's not up to code's not up to it. Um, the whatever automation tools you have access to for browser automation, they're not going to work nicely with your application. Heavy use of JavaScript, flaky uh, integrations with third parties. I mean, I've seen everything, um, and it still makes me mad that I can't get everything tested the way that uh, I can't get everything at that hundred percent confidence level um, that I always want. So, um, like anything, it's trade-offs. But really, I, I'm encouraging people to understand, even as something as simple as, am I going to use a real database or a pretend database? It's the same amount of work because it's you're looking at it in terms of great. I don't have to write all these test doubles and mocks that are going to drift over time and need to be updated. As said, no. Instead, you just have to deal with like drift in your data and what happens when production data gets out of sync. What happens when you add a new column to production and it's not in your development database? All the like all those things that are like I said, three or four steps away from what you're doing, um, unless you take a very systematic approach to understanding your dependencies um uh, you end up with the you end up with the uh, incorrect assumption that tests are useless and don't add any value because all you see are the times when the tests didn't work instead of all the times that the tests um tests did work and saved you from yourself lots mm. of times i found it like it's um i, I realize we're you know, going for about an hour now but um there's a there's a thread i'd still like to pull out of that is that i've had some wonderful people yourself included who kept me on testing and kept me going and I can always spot a difference in what I've written like with and without because without is always I'll just kind of like hey I've got this idea and I've got this and I'll just do that but then when you do it with it's like well it, it I, I think as you were saying there it's kind of asking different questions and I'm not saying I'm the, I'm the most proficient practitioner but it's asking better questions of okay well if I stuck that there what happens if what happens when those kinds of questions and okay, the things I make aren't necessarily like the most sort of mission critical like kind of thing, but I think the concept is still important of what happens if, if that goes away? How could I, and it's, it's that kind of approach is how could I, when this, what if, etc. cetera. Um, but the question that I was going to set some time aside on the weekend to start again was, I'm, I'm at the question of you've, you've got, you're kind of what would you say more than basically proficient with writing tests and stuff and structuring and stuff. But what I'm looking for is how to organize, and this is kind of a bit of a hard segue, but how to then say organize them so that you're not, you're more efficient at sort of creating them and managing them and not sort of seemingly having those, say, what would you say, like test suites where you're kind of doing the same, a lot of the same things over and over. Are there kind of strategies or approaches to more efficiently create tests and test your stuff i think so it's um there are some there are some repeatable strategies that i've used uh most of them 
most of them center around um, they start at the high level of like, you know, what, what does, if we look at unit, if we, and people who are listening should understand the vast majority of my experiences with PHP unit, right? So we're talking about writing individual test cases. So usually the way that I approach it when I start off is I am thinking of how do I, uh, um, here's an example that I have coming up that I haven't started yet for work for my current job. I'm doing contracting work for um, a US-based uh, tour company that sells package tours to people, right? And so the the I know the CTO quite well. So when I'm when my previous job went poof and I had some time on my hands, um, I hooked up with them. And so that has the interesting thing that we have a third party uh, uh, travel booking system that we have to integrate with, that it has an API, but not a full API. So, so what do you do when you're given a task like, in the one system, our customer service agents can create uh, a customer, right? Then our public facing site, they can go to sign in. And we have some logic in there that tries to match up what they've, the credentials the person provided with what's already in the booking system. And there's, they think there's a bug in there that sometimes when it get, when uh, a person gets created in the booking system, uh, it gets, it's like type of uh, account gets flagged one way. And then when they get created in, in the web front end and we try to match them up, it overrides it and changes the type of client that they are, right? From like the, the, for example, you can have like VIPs and tour leaders and people have been given free stuff. And when it matches up, they feel like the first time someone logs in, they feel like there's some combination of things that's causing the client type to be overridden and they're flagged as new customers. So, okay. So if we look at that, look at that problem, right? It's like, so how how would we test that? How would I prove that the customer is being that it's not being overwritten? If we even even not thinking about what tools I'm going to use, we think about at a high level. What are we like? We think about how would I prove that? So it's like then you go the next level down, right? It's like, well, we would the best way to prove this would be create a customer in the booking system. And luckily they have like a demo version of the booking system. So we don't have to create data in production and run the risk of like production data, like test data showing up in production, weird flights, weird customer names, uh, tour packages that don't exist, things like that. You don't, you don't ever want that stuff showing up in production. Right. So luckily we have like a sandbox. So like, okay, on a high level, if I was manually doing this, what would I do? Okay. I would create a, a, a customer with a certain type of account, I would create in the booking system. Then I would go and open up our web front end and have them sign in. And the way the system works, if it finds you, if you try to sign in, you go to create an account and it looks for your email address is usually the thing that it queues off of. It then goes, oh, we don't have this in our system on the website. It can make a call to the booking system says, hey, do you have someone that matches this? And then, there's some logic that it does it 
at its end and then decides what to do. We try to match them up and find unique IDs and say, okay, oh, we found this person, their ID in the booking system is this, we stuff it into the, into the website, right? So, so then having done that, I would then need to go back to the booking system, find that account and go and look at the status, right? So that's like, how would I manually do that? I always tell people, if you had to manually test this, how would you do it? So now that I've like written down all the manual steps, then it's like, okay, if I have to replace this with, uh, what of this can I replace with automation? Can I do, does the booking system have an API? It does. Um, do I have the ability to, does the web, so our side have an API that I can use to create customers? Yes, we do. So then I can then start translating what was a manual testing scenario into an automated one. I would literally, those steps that I outlined earlier, I would write that into a test as a, inside a comment block. And then I would just start slowly going through each one and saying, how do I implement this? How do I implement this other thing? How do I do this and this and this? Until I have the outline of what looks like an automatable test, right? A complete with the thing. And then we clean up afterwards, right? We will then delete the test account we created on the booking system. And then we will delete the test account we created on, on the website. So nobody gets taught how to write tests that way though, right? What, what do we teach people when it comes to testing to go back way to the beginning? Some people would teach, would be teaching how to use pest, mm -hmm. right? but, is, yeah. but how, how does knowing pest help you solve the, all the things that I talked about, that's like literally an implementation detail. It doesn't even matter what testing framework that you're using. You have to approach it from, I have a, I have a test scenario where I'm trying to prove something. Now, look at it this way. What, what if we had the case where uh, there was no API? Say the booking system didn't have one. Like, wow, how are we going to do that? Well, uh, if we don't want it to always be manual, then could we hook up something Selenium-based, uh, maybe a tool like Playwright or some other sort of uh, watch what I do, save it in a script, and then you can rerun it in a browser? Maybe that's what, maybe that becomes part of the solution. It's like, well, okay, then can we can we find a tool that drives to use Playwright? Can we find something that drives Playwright? All right, so now we're kind of stuck doing things in playwright. Okay, then I guess we have to figure out can we can we pretend to can we use playwright to create a, a user on the other end on the website? Oh yeah, no, it's just web stuff. Yeah, we can put stuff in a form and put this value here and this value there and click the button and wait for a spinner to appear and and do all that stuff. So again, that's an, another potential push, but 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 that your solution depends on what can I actually do to talk to these things. And again, like when people talk about a test like Playwright, what are they taught? How to use how how to use Playwright, not when to use it, but how to use it. Because they sort of like with so many of these tools, right? And PHP Unit is no different in its documentation. They've already they've skipped over. They don't address the when part. When do I use this tool? They just tell you how to use it. And I find trying to teach people the when part to be the super challenging because it's very hard to give generic advice, enough advice to tell someone, all right, here's how I solve this particular problem. Okay, take that same sort of approach and apply it 
to a problem that you have that you're trying to prove in your code. Most people are like, oh, I got no idea. I don't have two different API, two different websites to talk to. I just have one thing to talk to. So um, they fo they're too focused on the tools. Like we talk about other, so that's like my repeatable thing is always like, let's go to the highest level possible and figure out if I had to manually do this, how would I do it? And then knowing how I would manually do it, what of it can I automate? I have some test stuff that I have done for the current client. I've been there since the beginning of January. Uh, we had some testing stuff. It's like, yeah, we can't automate that. Just can't. It's not possible. It's uh, the, uh, we we can't uh, we can't automate it because then we can't have that test be part of our um, uh, continuous integration pipeline because the that API isn't always reliable. There are no SLAs. We can't count on 100% availability. So we could have a broken build, not because our code's incorrect, but because the third-party API is not available. So then you'd have to make a judgment call. Do I push this code up to production, even though I couldn't test it against the API? A braver person than me would be like, hit the button and ship it, not me. I'd be like, unless I can prove that this thing works, I don't trust. I don't trust that this thing is working the way that I expect. So... You know, that's like one set of advice I can give. Think about how you would manually do this. Another another thing that I have found to be helpful is is the, um, as generic advice is the um, arrange act assert pattern for just sort of organizing um, your test cases in a repeatable way, where you figure out what are what are all the dependencies I have to create, then how then how do I um, create the object that I need to test, and then what am I going to ask? What questions am I going to ask of this thing when I? So that's like you identify your dependencies. I need a database handle. I need the string. I need an email address. Okay, I'm going to create all that stuff in the arrange step. Then in my act step, I'm going to like create a new version of some object, and I'm going to pass it. It needs the database handle and needs an email address. And then in the assertion part, I'm going to say, okay, having added this record in, can I retrieve this record and get back the details that I'm expecting? That's like a really kind of like straightforward database-centric test. But if no one's ever given you like a structure for like to identify where does that uh, – people will ask, it, well, where does that stuff go? I can at least say people, oh, grasshopper, that goes in the arrange step. The arrange step is where we identify all our dependencies and all the things that our code we're going to test needs. And then in the acts – act step, we create a copy of the thing that we're testing and give it all the dependencies that we've identified. And then the assertion step is where we ask questions of this thing. Did I get back what I expected? Was an exception thrown? Uh, did this bit of code um, get called? If we have code with side effects, meaning that it does something else to another system, we could write tests like, oh, I, I generated something and I know I'm supposed to see an entry in a log file somewhere. Okay, can I read that can, from, can the test read in the log file? And like search for that string inside the log file. I mean, there's 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 so uh, in, in many cases there's so many different ways to like figure out what a test looks like to prove um, to prove that the stuff behaves as expected. So there's only so much generic advice that you can give because everyone's application is different, everyone's skill level is different, yeah. everyone's ability to <clears throat> organize uh dependencies what 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 can we do in production what can't we do what what do we get access to outside of production um you know the permutations are are endless it's uh, it said i try to like i try to teach people like i said 
those sort of building blocks because how do I identify dependencies? What are the tools that I can use? What are the tools good at? Where what aren't they good at? And then for each individual scenario, I think of that like we're not testing code, we're testing scenarios, right? We're testing behavior. For each bit of behavior, I'm trying to prove what's the best tool um, for proving that. And the answer sometimes surprises people. Some I, I know people have been surprised when I said, yeah, I don't think we can automate that. It's just not going to work. For like the in, in the context of of how our systems work and our tooling works, that's just it's just not going to happen. We can't count on we can't count on this particular thing um, being available. So in many cases, we're still stuck doing some manual testing for things, which sucks because people forget to do manual testing. But you know, you're gonna as you know from your own experiences with writing tests, you're you're either going to test things manually or you're going to get the computer to test them for you. But um, you're going to test them. Or, or you could say, uh, you're going to test it now, or you're going to test it later when it's more expensive to test. Or the, you'd rather find out it's broken now than broken tomorrow or next week, or broken at a time when the breakage is 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 going to cost you um, a ton of money to fix. I think the greatest thing I ever did was start framing conversations with people about like the the cost, like why. Like why this testing thing? When we talk about money, why are we doing this? Like we're trying to. Have I, did I ever tell you that that the like the analogy I had for like trying to convince how to convince managers who aren't sold on testing a good a good story to convince them about this? Have I ever I told think, you about the story? I think so. Yeah. When we're walking around, we're like X X two X five X yeah X like, yeah. I don't I don't I don't think we want to take up time on this on on this chat to go into it. But if people look for my stuff, I, it's I've talked about it in my books. I've talked about it in videos. I've talked about this idea that the common question I got is how do I convince a manager right who's like who's like no nah, we don't got time for that uh, um, how to make it happen explain to them uh, and I said only the only the dumbest managers will look at this and go, that doesn't make any sense. Once you frame it in terms of like money, because a lot of places, all they really, all they really care about is, is money, right? How much is this going to cost to fix? And a lot of them don't, they don't see the hidden costs involved. They don't see how much developer time costs. They don't see, they don't, they don't have a good grasp of how much does it really cost our organization when a bug is found in production? Because that's that's a number you can attempt to quantify, but I think it's more. I think it's better to frame it for those who want to sneak peek at how this conversation goes. Frame it in terms of how much does it cost compared to if I just let the developer write an automated test for it a week ago, right? Mm. But I think that also gets into like a slightly flawed thinking on some people's part, and I'm not saying I haven't fallen prey to that. Of you see, this is the example I use. I won't give full context for the people involved. But it's, it's someone asked me uh, some time ago, we were just having a general conversation. And I said, oh, I bought this new set of tires for my car. And each tire was like, I don't remember, had like 200 bucks a pop. And the person was like, oh, that, those, those are super duper expensive. And I said, well, how much did you pay for yours? 50 bucks. And I said, how long do yours last for? Okay. How much does it cost you each time you have to go to a mechanic? Because at least in Australia, where I was at the time, you had to pay a certain levy or fee or tax or call it what you want to dispose of the tires so they yep. wouldn't be basically dumped in landfill, yep. whether they are not irrelevant. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, here are the cost of mine, and mine will, will last, say, let's say theoretically, four times as long as yours. So even if we say dollar for dollar, what I pay now, what you pay over the course of those four purchases, wear it even but then there's the time that you got to give your car away so maybe this is exactly what we're saying and i'm yeah. seeing it a different way but 
that, well, you've got to then give the car away. So there's a time cost, there's an inconvenience cost. You've got to pay perhaps a mechanic because maybe what you do, you don't have the time or you just, you're not allowed to or able to do it yourself. So you've got to give it to someone else. So you've got to get up early, go drive somewhere, drop it off, come back later. Sorry, but we had a whole lot of jobs today. I can't give it to you today. What? I really need and yeah, that, the hidden costs, the hidden costs of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Realizing that I'm yeah, saying, that, I mean, your analogy is a great one. It's just, it's just, a, I think it's just, a, I think it's a, as, as close to what I tell people about the whole thing of how much it costs in terms of developer time versus how, what does it cost the company when there's a big show-stopping bug in production and everyone's wigging the hell out and 20 people are trying to solve a problem that one person could have solved a week ago if you didn't stop shouting at them that tests are useless. So, um, yeah, I tell people, I don't know, man. I don't work for you. I don't. I'm not your boss. Uh, um, I would advise you write tests where you can, and just if people get antsy about, it, just don't tell them that you're writing tests. And if they keep objecting, then that's probably a good sign that you should probably go work somewhere else that that um, that cares about those things. I think I think the hardest thing I think that's the hardest thing for people to come around to is the idea that um, that if you find yourself constantly in friction um, at your job over over techniques and things like that as scary as it can be to like quit a job most people are not willing to quit a job at the drop of a hat like some people are i'm, I'm not really like that that much i only put up with so much shenanigans at a job micro frictions i call them the micro frictions add up to one big one and then when it gets to a certain level it's like all right i'm just i just don't want to deal with this stuff anymore i'm tired of arguing about the same same three or four things with the same three or four people. So I'm going to go somewhere else and do it. Um, but uh, but the idea of like one of the ways to have a very long and successful career as a programmer is to just keep working at places that do things that you that uh, that you want to do. Um, and that's it sounds trite, but that's it's really what I've tried to do. It seems to have worked out okay. If uh, if I want to write tests and the people that I'm with don't want to write tests, well, then I'll quit my job and take the hit while I find someplace that does want to do or work with the technologies that I want to work with or work um, um, uh, in the domains that I want to work with. Like I tell people all the time, especially beginning programmers, because they don't quite see it this way. It's just like, despite all the um, alleged automation on the horizon and i'm not a believer that chat gpt is going to put me out of a job anytime soon but um we're still in high demand and life is too short to work a shitty job so if you're working someplace and you want to do x and x has proven to lead to better outcomes and the people who are with are just adamant that x is a waste of time well then i would suggest you look for some other place to do that work and i i get it i understand before people get livid and start writing angry letters to you about what i just said it's like i get it that not everyone can do that geographic considerations and, and things like that it's not always so easy just to rage quit a job and go someplace but at the same time um life is too short and we get paid too much to work at crappy jobs that there's no need for it you're we're still in high demand we're going to be in high demand for a while um you know, I suspect even with the rise of of AI assisted code stuff, there's still going to be plenty of work for people to try to figure out what the hell did the computer build and why does it not work the way that we expect it to work. So I don't think I don't think I will be out of it. I think I'll be. I, I think a good way to put it is I think I'll be able to retire when I want to retire instead of being <laughs> forced to retire is kind of how 
how I look at it. Those would, those AI those AI assisted tools, I find them I find them very fascinating. I at this point in time, I doubt their ability to, if I say to it, write something that integrates with this third party system, they're gonna be as crappy as it as most programmers are. So I don't I don't I don't have any doubt that there will there will there will always be work for people who care about programming who care about having things done correctly it's i think it's the i think it's just the i think the i think the jobs that are people coding just for money i think those are all going to go away with the um, with the rise of ai driven programming i don't even know what else you want to call it or just automated development tools i don't know what the hell you want to call it but i think the people that care about making sure these things can integrate together those people um are going to be fine. I think a lot. I think sadly, a lot of people are are going to be automated away. I don't know. Maybe even I will be too. I I don't think I will be. I think the stuff that I care about is somewhat resistant to those sort of forces. Because again, somebody's got to maintain these things, and someone's got to figure out how do I get four widgets that were the equivalent of three D printed. How do I get them to attach together when? they don't when they couldn't attach them together themselves so um oh maybe i'll be retiring a lot earlier than i think i hope not but uh but i just look at it and go i think i think i think caring about tests was the way i sort of future proofed um my job by not chasing not chasing development trends instead of just that weird decision 20 years ago in 2003 to start caring about tests proved to be the thing that gave me longevity which is I don't think you, I don't think if when I started looking at stuff, I don't think I could have predicted that's, that was the thing that saved me so many times and made it so that I could just find other interesting things to do because I had, I had that reputation for caring about the testing side that opened so many doors and allowed me to get into so many places and build interesting things for people. Oh, that's, well, I would, I, that's yeah. what, that's what I like to do now. Okay. Well, I would, I would love to chase up that. AI generated code because I do have a story, but for another time. Sweet. Um, yeah, we should talk about that another time. We should. I would love to come back and talk about that. Oh, I'm all for it. Um, but on that note, as you've been really generous with your time, um, if we could want like sort of bring our session to a close, is there a talk you've got coming up? I noticed you had uh, was it a sign or autograph copy of your book available? Is that already gone? Yeah, Something I you have. I, uh, yes, I. I have hard, I have hard I have paper copies of my book. I still have a few kicking around of my latest book. Let me go grab it here because I always forget the name. I'm a bad I'm a bad author. I forget the name of my book. I'm just gonna put my headset down because it's just out of my reach. One sec. You know, and speaking about like serendipity, I'm so glad I ran into the person that can do the awesome covers for my books. Deciding to actually have funny covers, I think, has actually helped. Tanya Lamb, she's an artist who used to be in Montreal. I think she's still in Montreal. I only talk to her these days when I need a new one. But yeah, I have I have just a few paper copies of my books left. If if I'm being honest and we didn't have time to, to go about this, I think I think the sort of uh the Twitter turmoil has made me realize that that I I'm starting to think that this this phase of the general purpose testing advice books and generalized videos, I feel like abandoning Twitter where I had a very, cause I'm not much on Twitter anymore. I'm abandoning Twitter and my big audience that 
people are always surprised. Like I had almost 13,000 people following me on Twitter. That's quite a lot if you really look at, you know, average follower accounts. Abandoning that audience because I don't like the person that runs Twitter and I don't like the type of people who are, have been allowed back onto Twitter. It hurts, right? It hurts knowing that I've tossed away an outlet because over ethics, right? Me saying, I just don't want to be involved anymore. So I feel like this part of the grumpy programmer is probably, probably done books and videos. That's, I'm probably not going to do that anymore. I think what I've gotten a lot more pleasure out of is the strategic, what I'm calling strategic testing, picking individual topics and trying to, trying to get small groups together of people. Uh, of course, they're going to pay me because I don't do anything for free, but, but get people together to say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out a structure for one right now where I just want to grab like three other people. And we're going to spend like four Monday nights in a row in my time zone uh, for like 60 to 90 minutes where I'm going to talk to them and teach them some of the, some of the stuff that we touched upon in here, maybe a little bit more technical where I can like do live demos and show them stuff, but just get to the point of like getting back to like teaching people um, the fundamentals. Cause as fun as these books were to write, and the covers are awesome. And I made lots of money selling books to people. At the same time, it's super generic advice, right? And and testing problems are usually super specific. They're tailored to your application and your needs. And that, you can't write a book to help people with that. All you can really do is just like figure out fundamentals, right? Fundamentals and repeatable patterns. Just like for those who, who are listeners who are old enough to remember the, the um, uh, the design patterns book, that old ancient was a group of seven or something, whatever it is, group of four, maybe I'm confusing the names of it, but you know the book I'm referring to, yeah, right, yeah. Matt, the big design patterns book. Yeah. And I think because of the rise of, of marketing-driven development and packaging, we use these patterns without realizing. We, I mean, you think the average Laravel user understands that it's a front controller, front controller pattern framework? Probably not. Do they understand that Eloquent is um, is a, a data mapper pattern? No. They don't need to know in order to use it. But at the same time, not knowing, not knowing th what that is, not knowing the names of them, hinders you when you suddenly have a problem to solve that's just a little bit outside of the default conventions that a particular tool wants, right? So I think I would find a lot more pleasure in sitting down with people and saying, okay, we're going to spend the first half of our talks. I'm going to put some, I'm going to offer some strategic advice and generic advice along with like some code samples. How do I identify dependencies? How do I write a test for something that doesn't have a test? Showing people that stuff, guiding them through, showing them like how someone really does it, right? In real time, talking to them, making mistakes, all that stuff, showing them, uh, yeah, this, oh no, this test didn't work. Here's why it didn't work. And then saying people, all right, now that I've shown you, show me what you're scuffling with. Show me what you're having a hard time with. Talk to me about the testing. If you're allowed to talk about them, talk to me about the things you're trying to write tests for. And let's see if I can't come up, give you, uh, again, some fundamentals and some skills on how to take that scenario and then figure out what do I, what do I need to do to make this thing 
work um, in an automated fashion. So I think that's, I, like I said, I think that just like how I feel like the golden age of the PHP conferences were done. I mean, it was already teetering before the pandemic and the pandemic just like killed, just, you know, took took the in-person conference out behind the shed and shot it and left it there. And there's still some in-person conferences. I've, you know, I've, I've been, I went to a couple, um, they were, they were good, but it just, it doesn't feel the same anymore. It's, it's, and uh, some of that may be me having done them for, oh my God, for so many years, 2003 was my first conference. I think that I went to, I spoke at my first one in 2005. So again, how different that is just like things change. People change. The testing has been the one constant thing. Um, uh, I thought it'd be a great way to make money writing books about testing. I was hundred percent correct. It was a great way to make money, but now it's like, now it's time to take all that stuff and help people um, help people in a different way. As I've discovered general purpose advice only works so much, but yeah. So I have like two or three copies of this left. It's basically double the, double the cover, no, a little bit less than double the cover. I think it was 50 American dollars for a copy of this signed shipped anywhere in the world, even to you in, in the land of Oz. And same thing with, I have one copy left. I have two copies of this book. One is my personal one. And then I have one more, same thing, just a little bit less than double for this one. Uh, I can write something snarky in underneath my name and sign it <laughs> and same, right? One price and um, I will ship them out to people. But that I feel like, you know, we should have, I should have suggested as a, as a topic before, but I find, I kind of feel like it's that I'm in that trend. I'm like in a literal transition period where I like, I did all this stuff and it was great. And I worked hard and I turned myself into this marketing driven character, the grumpy programmer who was going to shout at you for not testing your stuff. And believe me, that was a lot of fun and it was very successful and it gave me a super uh, good career, but now I'm older. Um, I'm tired. And, um, and uh, other things are other things, uh, other things in the programming world are starting to um, hold my uh, trying, starting to grab my interest, which, which I consider, a good thing that I have not gotten, I've not gotten bored with doing this sort of work. I always worried at some point, what would happen? Would I get bored? And then would that be the time I finally decided um, I should be a manager? And then I feel like I would be a, I would be a terrible manager. So um, because I would trust people to do stuff and, and people don't do stuff they're supposed to do all the time. And I think I would have a super hard, or, or as I used to joke with people, I get to manage for free at home by having kids and I decided I don't want to do it for money. So, um, so I, I find it encouraging. I find it encouraging that like, you know, 25 years into my programming career, I can still, I can still find things that are interesting that I want to do and I can still keep up, um, and so keep up with as trends, even in the PHP world, as they change and start looking at tools. Like, like we talk about the programming, the automation stuff. I've seen that the, uh, I don't want to butcher his last name, but the gentleman who uh, is the main developer behind Rector, right? The, the uh, refactoring tool. He has been working on something that I think looks awesome, which is automated test generation. I tried to figure out three, four years ago how to do that. Could I write something that could like scan through people's code and create some skeletons of tests. I mean, I am sure I'm far from the only person that thought of this. What limited me was like my lack of knowledge of, of how um, abstract syntax trees 
work with PHP and then looking at all the hours and hours that I have to spend on it and then thinking about, could I turn this to something that I could sell and make back the money from all the time? And my conclusion was like, no, I probably can't. So I am awesome to see that Rector, which is an awesome tool. I don't know if you've ever used it, Matt, but it's an amazing tool for for people who don't know about it. It's an automated refactoring tool. Do you have an old like like crufty PHP 5.5 app? This thing will literally go through and say, here's all the things you need to change it to make it work with PHP 7, PHP 8, 8.1, 8.2. It will automatically do that for you, which is just like, you know, we put the meme there of the of the, the guy with the, the head exploding from learning something new. So to me, that's awesome that someone is like taking some of those sort of like uh, uh, chat GPT and code pilot style tools and like saying, I'm, you unleash this on your code and it can give you some skeletons uh, for what your tests should look like. I look at that and think that's actually that's actually awesome. I look at things like I've started to get into looking at Nix and Nixos, which is a, a Linux derivative. Uh, again, this is for the benefit of the listeners. A, 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 a Linux um, derivative that allows you to create repeatable environments, so you can so that way you can count on every time you open up every time you open up a directory it will pull in all the dependencies. It has them right there. So you'll know that you can write, you can write, it's it's so that you don't get this drift that happens in dependencies when you update an operating system. With any next system, you know, if I tell it, I want all these versions of these libraries, I can take that definition file, put it into any version of Nix anywhere and say, all right, uh, install all these things locally for me. It will reproduce it. So it's sort of like composer, but at an operating system level, which for someone who cares about repeatable development environments like I do is awesome stuff. So um, there's no shortage of interesting things that I see out there. So that part keeps me going because like I said, the day I stop caring about doing this sort of work is probably the day I shouldn't do it anymore. So hopefully, like I said, hopefully I got lots more, lots more time to go before. I mean, I got the ergonomic keyboard because I don't want my wrists to die. So as long as I can keep typing, I'll probably keep typing until I slump over arguing with somebody from a stroke from arguing <laughs> with somebody about not having tests in their code. My wife will find me with my head down on the desk. <laughs> just okay. dribbling outside. Yeah, just slumped over. It's like, oh, finally I reached the end, but... And that's a wrap for this episode. You can find more about anything you've heard in today's episode by going to freethegeek.fm. That's freethegeek.fm. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love it if you'd give it a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Alternatively, please leave a comment in the episode discussion. I'd love to know what you think, what you thought was good, what could do with a bit more work, etc., etc. Otherwise... I'll see you next time.